we're going to continue today a, a study that we began a couple of weeks ago called One Another. One Another. Why? Because the Bible uses this two-word phrase, one another, translated what, from one Greek word. And by the way, in case you didn't uh, know this, the New Testament was originally penned in that language, Greek. And so what you have in front of you is an English translation from the Greek. This, there was a Greek word, alelon, one word that is translated into English as one another. It's used about a hundred times in the New Testament. And about two-thirds of those are direct, uh, direct um, descriptions of the kinds of things God wants to be true of us as his followers in relation how we relate to each other. And so we decided... As we begin this spring season and uh, focus on uh, what is one of four themes for us this year, the first being uh, that we believe the Lord wants us to become a praying church, and then we talked about how the Lord wants us to become a spirit-filled church, and now we're talking about how we know that the Lord intends for his church to be a relational church, and then we'll get to the uh, the fourth of those themes before the year is out, that we believe the Lord wants us to be a missional church. If we're going to be a relational church, uh, and by the way, there can't be any other, really. The church is people. It's people. It's not an institution. You can't go to it. You can't um, attend it. I mean, people... Say they do that. I attend such and such a church. I'm going to go to such. But really, church is not a place. It's not an organization. It's not what happens at a place. It is the people of God. The word church in the New Testament comes from a Greek word that means the called out ones. That's you and me. So we can't have a real church that isn't relational. And we looked for a couple of weeks ago at Acts chapter 2 that gives us this exquisite description of the church at its birth when it was, um, in, you know, in its most raw form, immature. Yeah, and it will develop and, and God will uh, cause the, his church to grow in, in many ways, including maturity. But one of the things that is so striking about that passage at the end of Acts chapter 2 is the love they had for each other. Because Jesus said this. He said, now, it used to be that the, the uh, Old Testament or Old Covenant command was love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. Moses Gave that to the people uh, in Leviticus, the old, one of the Old Testament books. While they were, the children of Israel were on their way to the promised land. Jesus reminded people of that early in his ministry. Here's what you do. You love one another as you love yourself. That's a pretty tall order. But then on the night of his betrayal, he said this. He said, now a new commandment I have for you. That you love one another as I have loved you. Now we're talking about something at another level, a kind of love that's unachievable through the, our human uh, resources. We don't have the capacity to love like that. But on the day of the church's birth, when we read the description 
of what that church was like in its initial days, you, you come away understanding these people had begun to experience that love that's higher than human beings can achieve, that requires the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life to take them to that place where they can love one another or love others like Jesus loves us. We also talked a little bit about how the Bible makes this distinction between human love, phileo is the Greek word for that, human love, and God's love or divine love, agape love. And we talked about how Jesus was calling Peter to a a realization that there's a distinction between those two when he said, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter had to be honest and say, Lord, you know I, I phileo you. Coming to understand that in, my, in his humanness, in my humanness, your humanness, the best we can do is kind of a brotherly love that is, it's high, it's good, but it isn't agape. Where the, that, that love that God has for you and for me, dear one, is sacrificial in every way. He has no expectation of return. There is never anything about his giving love to you that is dependent upon you returning love to him. Jesus said the greatest love a man can have is this, that he lay down his life or sacrifice himself or give up himself for his friends, those who will return love to him. But the Bible says that God sent his son Jesus to show us a different love, that even while we were still sinners, even while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. He sacrificed himself. He gave himself. He was demonstrating what agape love is. Agape love gives when there's no expectation of return. And wow, it's like, are you kidding me, God? How can I have any hope of of demonstrating that or experiencing that in my life, but there is something, isn't there, in each of us that longs to be part of a people who are loving like that, which means that if I'm going to be part of a people that are loving like that, I have to become one of those people who are loving like that. And that's what we're into right now. God, help us love like that. Love one another like you Love me. So, I've asked you to turn, last week I asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're continuing from there. 1 Corinthians 13 is this little chapter of 13 verses snuggled in between the introduction to us of the supernatural enablings of the Holy Spirit that allow believers to live in a power-filled way and how those enablings uh, are to function in an orderly and God-ordained way. Right in the middle is this verse that describes agape. Because nothing else make matters if we don't get this right. It says this in verse thir- thir- chapter 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not agape, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not agape, I, I am nothing. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be sacrificed or burned, but I have not agape, it profits me nothing. And then we have between verse 4 and the first part of verse 8, 16 separate pieces of the description or definition of agape. Follow me. Agape suffers long and is kind. Agape does not envy. Agape does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Agape never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, agape. These three, but the greatest of these is agape. So we've been making our way through these 16 um, parts of the definition the Bible gives us of agape. And we've been noticing two things. One, how God loves me. God loves you. And as we continue, I just want to remind you, we're hearing in these words the way God loves you. The way God loves you, Victor. The way God loves you, Junie. These, these are not some sort of abstract principles. These describe the living God who is today right here loving you like that. Just let the truth of that, the impact of that, the power of that Overflow your life, will you? As you sit there, just let it wash over you with a fresh understanding. I am loved like that. And then number two, it's going to show, as we go through this, it's going to reveal the, the discrepancies or the deficiencies in how we love one another. Can I just say, we're all in the same boat here. Okay, all of us are needing like crazy the Spirit of God to help us to be able to model, to live out, to be more like this. But we have God's promise. He never calls us to anything that he will not provide the means for. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit. He would not have commanded us. He said that. He's a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as Christ, as I love you. 
He won't ever command us and then not provide the means. So, dear God, I'm going to have to take a hard look. I'm going to look at myself in a mirror here and see how I don't measure up. I don't love the same way you love me. I don't love others the same But I want to. And that's the point. Just keep saying that. When we go through this, just whisper to the Lord, I'm not there yet, but I want to be. He'll take you up on that, dear one. I promise. You set now? You ready to go? Ready to pick up where we left off? Well, because I could go to my office and do this by myself, I suppose. But, so you ready? Okay. And we're going we're gonna to begin in the middle of verse 5. We left off with agape does not seek its own. Next it says that agape is not provoked. Is not provoked. Any of you have ever have had your buttons pushed? You know what I mean by that? You got somebody in your life that just knows how to mm, 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 push that button? The Bible says that agape doesn't have any buttons. Is not provoked. Now, how is that possible? Well, listen, when you've been loved like that, when you've been loved like that, when the agape of God has washed over your life, it tends to wash away the buttons. That's in his intention. So that, that person that tends to get under your skin or used to get under your skin or have ways to just provoke you, there's no, no place for them to to poke, that it elicits the same reaction any, any longer. God, help us to be people for whom the truth is your love has washed the buttons off. I don't want to be... You know, the, I'm reading out of what is called the New King James Version. It's an updated... Uh, an up, an up, I don't even know the right word to say it. It's an updated version of the King James Version. Um, and uh, some of you would be familiar with that's the, usually what people think of when they think of the Bible with all the these and thous and thus saiths and that kind of thing. Um, in the King James Version of this passage, it says, is not easily provoked. Now, look, I'm no... I'm no uh, scholar in any sense of the word, but it seems to me that it might just have been that the translators who uh, gave us the King James Version of the Bible inserted a word there just to sort of soften the blow. It's not easily provoked. But look, that easily isn't in the original. It's just is not provoked. Dear God, help us. Amen? All right. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Now that means that agape love doesn't keep any record of wrong. You today, dear one, ought to stand. Uh, don't because you know it, it'll. I got stuff to do here, but you, it, it should cause you to stand up, shout, and jump around for a while that you have a God in heaven who isn't, a key, isn't keeping a record of your wrongs. 
In fact, the Bible says that the God who knows everything that can be known has chosen to forget your sin. That, you gotta just think about that one for a while. That's how you are loved. We tend to not be that way, though. We tend to have a list, and sometimes that list gets pretty long of the ways that we've been wronged by somebody. In fact, I, I can tell you right now, I have somebody that comes to mind that, you know, I think, I feel like I've, I've forgiven and am loving towards that person, and yet I have to be honest with you and say, there's still a list. There's still a list. And here's the thing. I tend to want to rehearse the list every once in a while just so that I, you know, just keep it fresh in my memory and so that when the next thing happens, I'm, I, I realize, this is twisted, I know, but that I realize that I'm adding it to the bottom of a long list. I don't want to forget what comes before it and, and put this new offense at the top of a blank list because it doesn't have the same impact anymore. I told you, this is twisted. It's evil. But look, we're there, aren't we? We keep a list. I want to ask you today to join me. This is, I'm, I'm being honest with you. This is raw. This is right now for me. I want to imagine that that list is on a whiteboard and I've got the eraser. How about you? Man, it's hard. It's, it's, it takes a step of faith, doesn't it? To think, well, yeah, but I don't want to forget. God help me. God help you. Let's take that eraser to the thing. I don't want to hold on to that stuff. I don't want my heart, my soul, to be polluted by that. I want to be loved by God like that, where there is no record. And I want to, in turn, love others that way too. It says that in verse 6, agape does not rejoice in iniquity. Oh, you know what? I have some slides here. Let me catch up to this. Yeah. I mean, not that it matters much to you, but I worked pretty hard on them, so I ought to use them a little bit. So agape is not provoked. Uh, agape thinks no evil and does not rejoice in iniquity. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that agape doesn't take pleasure when things are, don't go well for someone, when things are not right. That's what iniquity is, when things are not right, they're not righteous. Have you ever gotten subtle pleasure when something not so nice happened to someone who's been not so nice to you? I have. Have you ever been one of those people who, who, you know, shared the hot gossip about, you know, so-and-so and what happened to them and just a little bit of a smirk is on your face when you're telling this story? Because they got what's coming to them, right? Agape doesn't do that. Agape does not rejoice, doesn't get pleasure from iniquity and from when things are 
Look, I have, I have people that I don't hold in high regard. And I, I'm not sure that that's a, that's a bad thing. The Bible um, says that we are not to be uh, judgmental in the, in the way that we are, are um, passing judgment on people. But, God, but I, th- there is a form of judgment that the Bible describes we are to have, and that is to be, it's more like a discernment of people that we ought to pay attention to and others not so much. Things that are right and things that are wrong, we are to discern between those things. There are some people in this world, as I said, I admit to, I don't hold them in high regard. But I can't let my heart be so hardened towards them or so, um, uh, so unloving towards them that when things happen to them that aren't good, that there's a part of me that just, they got what's coming to them, you know, that I rejoice in it. That's, that's not agape. It says that agape doesn't, re, uh, doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. It gains its pleasure, gets its pleasure from the truth. Now, you have a God who loves you this way. He tells you the truth. And it's always, not always easy to hear, is it? When God gets in your face and just says, hey, this is what's really true right now. Regardless of what you're trying to spin in your own head, this is what's true. But whenever God speaks the truth, it's always all wrapped up in his agape love for us. And so it's never to condemn, it's never to uh, create shame, it's always to point the way to a better future. It's always so that we can get past this thing and move on to what I have for you. It's always redemptive, always redemptive because it's loving. If we're going to demonstrate, if we're going to be a church, a people who live out this agape love, the environment has to change to one of truth-telling. But not for the sake of of hurting. I was talking with someone yesterday, and, and in the conversation, I realized I need to say something to a friend of theirs that has the potential of hurting them when I say it. It's true, and I need, to, I need to give them the truth because I do love them, and I've been withholding the truth from them. I need to give them the truth. But I'm praying right now, God, show me how to love them when I tell them the truth. Because you know the difference. When someone tells you the truth and it's meant to hurt, it does, and it hurts deep. But when someone tells you the truth that you need to hear, may not want to hear, and it's bathed in love... It's a whole different story. And agape is about an environment of truth-telling, rejoices in the truth. I've gotten to a place where I, I think, not perfectly by any means, but I've gotten to a place in my life where I love to be told the truth. I'm so tired of living my life in a fantasy I want to know the truth. 
And I thank God that he is one who tells me the truth and can enable me to love you in truth. goes on to say that love bears all things, bears all things. Literally in the, the Greek word means to roof over or to protect by covering. That doesn't mean that love covers up, you know, love is in denial. I've already said that this passage tells us love, agape, is in, in the truth. But what this does mean is that it, we, love keeps off something that threatens. So when, there's, when I love you and I see you opposed by something, I see that there is a threat to your life or a threat to your well-being in any sense, I'm going to be the one who steps in the way. I'm going to cover. I'm going to roof over. I'm going to take the blow for you because I love you. Love bears all things. It believes all things. This is a tough one, dear one, because um, especially if, if someone's let you down, it's really hard to trust them again, isn't it? You know, when, I, when I'm doing marital counseling and there's been some form of infidelity, it's, it's hard to come back from, really hard. Jesus even acknowledged that when he spoke on marriage. It's not impossible, but what has to happen is that the person who's been offended has to be willing to trust again, and that is a hard sucker to get to swallow, all right? That's a hard thing to do. And impossible in our human love. But agape believes all things. Even when you fail me, even when you let me down, the agape love of God says, I'm going to trust. And, and the thing about this word for believes all things, I've used this illustration before. Let me do it again. Hold on. Believe, this word for believe is not the one that looks at the chair and says, you know what, that's, I can see that there's some welds there that this construction is uh, in such a, a manner that it will probably support my weight if I sat in it. And we evaluate it and we think, okay, that's, that's probably worthy of my trust, that it would hold me up if I sat in it. Trouble is, I'm not sitting in it. I've just evaluated it. I've just given it credence that it's, it's probably, probably be okay. But this word, believes all things, is the word for when I actually put my butt in the chair. And what if it doesn't hold me up? What if it gives out on me again? Am I going to do like I normally do and say, well, that was it. I gave you two chairs. You remember Peter? He came to Jesus. He said, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Seven times? You know, Jesus said, Peter, not seven times. Seventy times seven. Now you know that Peter didn't whip out his calculator and try to figure out how, what that, the, the sum of that was. Jesus was just blowing his mind. He was just saying, there's no end. 
Because agape believes all things. That's hard for us. Impossible in human love. But God can give us that. And don't we need it? We talk about God being the God of second chances. That is so, so wrong. God is the God of the 800 millionth chance. He never gives up on us because his love believes. It's not blind. It's not stupid. It's agape. He believes in us when we don't believe in ourselves. And if we could offer that to one another, what an amazing thing that would be. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Hope is the joyful expectation that something that, that's been uh, promised or, or expected will actually take place. Uh, I think I may have said this before, but it's like when I would tell, and by the way, my daughter's visiting today. Hello, honey. Um, surprise visit. Um, when I would tell my kids when they were little, hey, we're going to go to Disneyland on such and such a day, I could see the hope begin to, to rise that what daddy said would actually take place. So we're going in a month or so, but from the moment of the promise, because I have a track record of faithfulness with them, they can allow hope to rise. We're going to Disneyland in a month. They don't have to worry of, not sure if he's actually going to do it. or if we're, you know, there's a, That's what hope is. And agape love, agape love hopes. I'm hopeful in you, Rod. Because God is hopeful with me. He has a joyful expectation over my life. God is not pessimistic about me. I don't want to be about you either. Hope, all things. Endures, all things. Endure, endurance, I mean, any of you who have ever been in athletics, you know what endurance is. It's going beyond the limitations of everything that you think limits you. It's pushing beyond the limits. Agape love endures all things. I probably don't even need to dwell on that. I think you get the point. And then finally, agape never fails. The word fail there means to not wither like a flower in the heat. Sometimes you have been loving in a very hot environment and it feels like the flower is withering. That's when human love reaches its limit, not agape. Thank God, thank you God, thank you God. And you, your love towards me never fails. It will never wither. It will never become inefficient. It will never drop off. It will never fail. This is recording number 11209 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 24, 2016. 
This is the third message in a series titled, One Another. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, A Relational Code Part 3. 